Well, if you're a walker of any kind, sooner or later it's going to happen to you. There's going to come that moment when you really want to take a long, brisk walk in a beautiful, natural setting, and you can't. I mean, maybe you're in Austin and it's 104 degrees outside. Or maybe you're on a trip and you're in an unfamiliar urban setting. Or you're on a cruise ship. Or it's 11 o'clock at night or 5 in the morning. And you're behind on your miles for the week. And that's when your love-hate relationship with this this, with this, begins. Yes, it's the treadmill. Now here's the truth. No one likes walking on a treadmill, right? I mean, it makes no sense. It's ridiculous walking on a belt that just goes round and round and doesn't go anywhere. But when you're committed to a certain number of miles a week or you're dedicated to your walking, well, you grab your earbuds and your water bottle and you head for the treadmill. One thing is for sure, the treadmill takes away almost any excuse for not walking. The battery is low, so you're going to have to come along with me. Excuses. Excuses. As we continue with the greatest hits of Luke's gospel this morning, be prepared because the intensity is now going to increase. And Jesus' journey is beginning to ask more of him and more of his followers. Listen now to God's word from the ninth chapter of Luke. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him, and on their way they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But they did not receive him, because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. And as they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And to another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Wow. Did you see that? Did you feel that? So many excuses. And did you notice that Jesus won't tolerate or entertain any of them, will he? No, here in the ninth chapter of Luke, Jesus sets his face to go to Jerusalem. This is the point where he turns toward Jerusalem and starts that difficult road to the cross. 
And so he begins to share with his disciples the urgency, the sacrifice that will be necessary in the kingdom of God. And now there are no excuses as Jesus invites them to take their place in God's work. You might have noticed it started with a Samaritan village. The disciples go there. They're going to prepare the way for Jesus. They enter that village and those Samaritans are frightened. They know Jesus has plans to go to Jerusalem. They're worried about the repercussions of the religious leadership of the Romans. Jesus is too much of a risk and they won't let him come in. They won't let him stay in their village. The disciples, it says, are filled with indignation. They're angry. And they're coming to Jesus saying, hey, Jesus, let us command some fire to come down and rain down on them. Let's, let's smite them. Sounds like a good idea, right? But Jesus, Jesus doesn't have time for that. He, won't, he rebukes them. He keeps moving forward toward Jerusalem, toward his destiny. He rebukes them for being distracted. You see, in their case, vengeance, it's time-consuming, it's energy-consuming, it's an interference on their way to Jerusalem. It's not an excuse to keep them from moving forward to the cross. And yet still more people come saying that they want to follow Jesus, right? More people on that road say that they're ready to walk with him to the cross. And Jesus says, sure. Sure, you can come as long as you can let go. Let go of the security of having a home. Let go of family ties and obligations. Let go of those things that make you feel comfortable and confident. Let go of it all and without excuse, follow me. Never really says how many of them actually did, does it? And then like any good preacher... Jesus sums up his teaching with a powerful metaphor and a memorable story. It's that verse, Luke 9, 62. He says, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now that's an odd thing to say, right? Anyone who puts their hand to the plow and looks back isn't fit for God's work. An odd thing to say unless you realize that Jesus is conjuring up a story that was really very familiar to his audience. And it's the story of the great prophet Elisha. Elisha, you'll find his story in 1 Kings, the 19th verse. And Elisha lived in Israel a few generations after King David. And during Elisha's lifetime, it was the prophet Elijah who spoke God's word and who called God's people into faithfulness. And as the story goes, one day, Elisha is just minding his own business. He is basically plowing his father's field. And the prophet Elijah walks up to him and throws his mantle, his cloak, over Elisha's shoulder. Now this was prophet speak for you're up next kid. You'll be God's prophet now. Come with me. And here's the miracle. 
According to 1 Kings, Elisha understood this perfectly. He takes his plow oxen and he kills them and cooks them. Talking about not being able to turn back. He kills them, he cooks them, he feeds the entire village. He says goodbye to his family and then he sets off with Elijah and he never looked back. Jesus reminds those who were on the road with him that Elisha understood his moment. Elisha understood God's call. Elisha didn't make excuses. He let go of everything. He put his hand to the plow as the prophet for God's people, and he never looked back. This, says Jesus, is my journey. This is what I'm doing on the way to Jerusalem, and this is how you follow me. Many, many years ago, I had the privilege of visiting one of my church's missionary partners in Malawi, Africa. And there, my mission partner, Dan, gave me a schooling in third world agriculture. Here I am trying to look very attentive. But what he's teaching me, you see, in that part of Africa and many parts of the third world, plowing is still done by hand. And he teaches villagers, poor villagers, how to plow their fields very, very straight. Straight rows are really important. That means that you can actually plant more seed and you can plant it closer together. It means that irrigation and weeding can be more efficient and the bottom line, straight rows, give larger yields, which means more food and less hunger. Plowing straight rows in a third world country on the edge of starvation is literally a matter of life and death. So think about it. I know you're city folk, like me, but just imagine that you had a hand plow and you were trying to plow a straight row. What happens when you look back over your shoulder, right? Well, of course, your row's gonna go crooked. Jesus knew that. We know that even though we're not farmers. And this, this straight row really can be a matter of life and death. Jesus is saying you don't want crooked rows. You want to produce a large harvest. The harvest matters. And it can be the difference between life and death. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. God's work matters. The yield, the harvest, it matters. And here on the road to the cross, Jesus says plainly, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to walk with me, it means you put your hand to the plow of the gospel and you don't look back. But here's the problem. Truthfully, you and I put our hand to the plow and look back all the time, don't we? Don't we? Who here this morning hasn't started out to be more faithful, to be more compassionate, to be more giving, only to find yourself falling back into old patterns? Or who here this morning hasn't lost energy or heart or hope in midstream while you're trying to do God's work? Truthfully, we have really great excuses 
for not doing what is right. And we even have decent excuses for doing what we know is wrong. And here's what really breaks my heart. Sometimes we see the plow, we see the work, we see the cause, we see the injustice, we see the relationship, the need, and it is right there in front of us. We can almost touch it. It's waiting for us to put our hand on it, waiting for our love, our energy, our passion. And we don't move toward it at all. Am I right? And there's Jesus saying, anyone who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Well, friends, let me ask you, by that definition, who among us here today is fit? By that definition, what church is fit? Not one of us. Not one church. No, the only one fit for the kingdom of God traveled that road to Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, Jesus. Jesus, who the author of Hebrews says is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. He's the only one. And Jesus is the one who knew that his moment had arrived. Jesus is the one who set his face toward the cross. Jesus is the one who put his hand to the plow of sacrifice and never, never looked back. Thanks be to God that Jesus was fit for God's word. Amen? And friends, this is our good news. Listen up. Because as Jesus walked that road so long ago, let me tell you, he knew. He knew that his disciples, that the church, that you and I, we would not always do the same. He knew that we would let go of the plow, that we would look back, we would make excuses and make mistakes. But, but he still invites us to accompany him on this wild and risky journey of faith. And he offers, he offers to make us fit little by little, to make this church fit little by little for God's reign and for God's work. And that means that like Elisha, every now and then, we have moments, don't we? Moments. Moments when we recognize God's activity, when we recognize God's call. And every now and then, in such Elisha moments, we forget our excuses. We put our hands to the plow and we push forward into God's work. And we even, in such Elisha moments, stop looking back and stop fearing, and stop blaming, and stop hurting long enough to see the beauty of what God is building in us, and with us, and through us. It's a thing of beauty and grace when it happens. When someone puts their hand to the plow of fighting injustice and never looks back, we get a Desmond Tutu and a Dr. King. When someone puts their hand to the plow of ending homelessness and never looks back. We get, we get an Alan Graham and a Mobile Loaves and Fishes. 
When someone puts their hand to the plow of sobriety and never looks back, or the plow of faithfulness and sacrifice for family and never looks back, or the plow of compassion and healing and never looks back. Friends, Jesus isn't calling us to be perfect, but he does call us to work. He does call us to take his yoke upon us and learn from him. That's Matthew 11. He does call us to put our hand to the plow and to move forward, even if it's a risk, even if it's unknown. This means we're going to have Elisha moments, moments of decision, moments when excuses might be easier than putting a hand to the plow. Maybe you've had one recently. Maybe you're standing in such a moment today. Or maybe you'll be presented with such a moment tomorrow. I don't know. I don't know what Elisha moment might be there for you or for our church. But here's what I do know. I do know that the posture of faith is to let go of anything holding you back from God's promise and to press forward into God's future. I don't know what plow God might be placing before you, but I do know that the posture of faith is to put your hand on that plow and to trust God to see you through. I don't know what the future holds for us here at Westlake Presbyterian Church, but I do know that we have kingdom work to do and that we will be faithful. We will put our hand on that plow, and together we will move forward. And one more thing. The plow handle, that thing we are to hold on to, that one thing that we're to not let go of, thanks be to God, it's not our goodness that we hold on to. It's not our ability. It's not our faithfulness. No, we hold on to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10 puts it this way. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. He who has promised is faithful. That is where our future lies. That is our foundation. And that's the key to being on this wild journey of faith and being part of the reign of God. Not turning back, but holding fast to our hope without wavering to the one who is faithful. So friends, let us put our hand to that plow. And dear friends, let us hold on. Let us pray. God, we are grateful that you don't leave us on this journey alone, that you teach us day by day how to be faithful and to hold on to you. So come close to us now and help us to do the work that you've laid ahead of us. In Jesus' name, amen.